Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Earl Kenny, welcome to the Center of the Universe. I guess I'm back at home. <laughs> well, do you consider Ashland home? Yes. I mean, obviously you don't live here now. How, what ages did you live in Ashland? Uh, 12, 13, 12, I was 12 when we came and to college, 18. And then I came back, maybe lived here six months okay. and then, you know, moved, got my own place in Richmond. But almost all the time I've still gone to church up here. Okay. And, you know, my parents are still here and you go to, you go to Ebenezer, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's home. Yeah, I mean, 12, yeah. basically Richmond Metro from 12 till now. Yeah. Right? And uh, Except for college. Right. Uh, and a little time in the CFL, which we're going to right. talk about. Um, which, I, by the way, I don't think I knew that about you. I knew you were I knew I you were an athlete. I never stuck. But, like, yeah. other people stuck, but they back, that was back when it was limited Americans. Yeah. So. Well, it, like, like, intentionally limited? Like, you can only have X yeah, number of Yeah, you can only players? have X amount. Okay. And so, and that was when the NFL had huge numbers. Mm. So. They would bring all those people to camp. Well, the Canadian season's already started. So all the people would go to NFL camps and stay until they got cut. Right. Then they just come back to Canada. When they came back to Canada, we all got released. So for me, it was like way to build up like some side money. You know, you do the camps, they give you a little money to show up. And you play for the beginning of the season. You play the beginning of the season. But it it was really like preseason, right. but their season had already started. And basically, you might be active, you might not be active, depending on when this guy got back, when all of them came back, because most of them didn't make it. You went on home, I went back to work. Mm. All right, so you came to Ashland at 12. Where, where were you born? I was born in West Virginia, Beckley, West Virginia. And Beckley, West Virginia is southern West Virginia? Southern West Virginia. As soon as you go over the line, um, maybe... An hour in Concord College, okay. it's two exits past it. Okay, um, that's that's hard scrabble part of the country. Yeah, it was pure coal mining when I was there, yeah. and then that's where my mother's parents are from. Okay, and then we moved from there to Richmond. How old were you? Six. Maybe. So you, you have memories of West Virginia. Oh, all of it, and my grandmother stayed. Okay, you know, and family. So that for me was the the homestead, but it really wasn't because they were really from Appomattox Lynchburg uh, and they went there to coal mine. Gotcha. And, but I didn't know that until I was old. We went, but I didn't know that that was really where they were all from until I was like almost an adult. Okay. And, you know, like my parents, her sister, all of them, they went to Marshall. So you stayed in West Virginia and dad went to Marshall, but he was from the other end of West Virginia. And so, other end meaning the northern, northern, he was yeah. wheeling. Okay. And so they met, you know, at Marshall and, you know, they got married. So that made West Virginia, I'm a whole lot West Virginia. So they got, got, they got married like their college. senior year. Yeah. Yeah. And so then they went to, um, they went from there, you know, he was still in school. So they went to Richmond. He was at Virginia Union. So we were here like maybe a year, two years. So he gra- they graduated from Marshall, and then your dad went to seminary. Yes. Or, yeah. And my mother was here 
guess I think she was getting her master's because she's got almost as many degrees as him. Wow. And so she was in Richmond teaching. Then all of a sudden we moved to New York, I think the next year, so maybe a year and a half in Richmond, then New York from like, I guess, eight to 12, or seven to 12. What was in New York? Why'd y'all go there? Columbia. Oh, yeah. so he got his PhD up yes. there. Okay. And Columbia is like 10 blocks from Harlem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I grew up right around Harlem. We were like right on the edge. And so I go from Beckley to Richmond to Harlem. No, that's a crazy trip. Yes. Then to Ashland. So I despised <laughs> Ashland when I came. So you, you were basically a Harlem kid yes. who ended up in the center of and the universe. And even like Beckley functions, the coal camp, it functions like a city. Yeah. You know, things are up. They they worked and, you know, the shifts open 24 hours. So, oh, yeah. you know, lights are on. No rural. There is rural, but it wasn't part of it. So that functioned like a big city. Then I was in, when we were in Richmond, we lived in the north side. We right. lived by Union. Yeah. So that was like a city. You, you were in you the know, city. I used to sit street lights. Um, we always lived near a train. We still ended up living near a train. <laughs> like we lived under the L in New York. Okay. Yeah, like yeah. where it comes out on 125th Street. Yeah. My school was right behind the Apollo. Wow. So that's cool. Yeah. So we, you know, so I came here and it was literally crickets. I couldn't sleep. Trains were the only thing you could hear. Probably. Yeah. And that's a, because I, that train, we had the bus stop in front of my apartment in New York and the train came out the bottom. So I was used to that noise. We lived near enough to the train. because so I can't sleep in quiet. I can't either. Yeah. So, you know, but the TV didn't stay TV in New York stays on all night. Even here, Rich. So I learned like all kinds of tricks to Jimmy a radio to pick up twenty four hour radio stations, and I can still do that to this day. Well, I mean, yeah. that, that necessity, right? Yeah, because I I would have just been sitting there. Yeah, you you would have been wide awake, wide awake. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I can't, the hustle and bustle of your entire first twelve years, and then you come here, come to and it's, and it's the, the quietest town maybe yeah. in the world at that point. now. We were right on 95 on, um, you know, in Town Square. So that made it a little better. You know, you're right on route. You got Route 95 behind you and Route 1 in front of you. Yeah. So it was still some light, still some noise. It was an apartment, so you still had some street lights and stuff. Right. So I was okay, but I couldn't stand. <laughs> yeah, you weren't in my part of Ashland where literally you, you could, nah, hear, you could was, hear crickets. Nah, what you Now, we were back then, there was still the woods. Right. They hadn't finished where you crops and now food line. Right. They hadn't finished that. That was literal woods, but they were building it the first year you got there and they finished it like second year. Did your parents give you a lot of build up before y'all moved to nope. just got got Because I thought we were out. moving to Richmond back where we were. Oh, we're going back to Northside. Well, how did your parents pick Ashland? I have no idea. They said, um, they were driving through this place looks all right. <laughs> and, Isn't that wild? Yes. <laughs> And now y'all, your parents have been here ever since. Yes, I mean the, your parents are a staple. Yeah, I of the think community. it was real random, yeah. like literally. When we're looking for apartments, it looked like these ones are cheaper than Richmond, <laughs> and they were there. And what was your dad going to do for work, or your mom? Did your mom work? Mom was back a teacher. Then? Okay. Yeah, and so you know she already had all her stuff, so she had already taught in Richmond. So as soon as she came back, she was. I think she had her job as soon soon as we like we came back just in time to start school and she went to work we went to school 
Did your dad go to Ebenezer at that point? No, it was a couple years later. Okay. Yeah, he sort of preached around the area, and yeah, you know, he was teaching at Union because that was always his main job, and so he was a professor. Oh, I forgot he was yeah, a professor. and yeah. he would preach, you know, like on the side, and then you know, he went to um, Ebenezer, and then he went to Chicago. Really? Yeah. Well, uh, share your parents' names for the listening audience. Um, Dr. John W. Kenning at Ebenezer Baptist Church. The I guess he's the Dean Emeritus at Union Theological, not Union, at Virginia Union University. Right. And my mother is Quintina, Tina Kenny, and she was a teacher, like 35 years, city of Richmond, mostly at Munford Fox profound she does a profound special ed oh wow yeah oh your mom's a special lady yeah like as a kid she was like with the the most that's 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 a hard that's a i I don't know that from experience my wife uh does special ed uh teaching and she's exhausted out of patience she she does the very very and then like when she finished so she was the city of Richmond's elementary autistic person, the main one for most of the time when we came back to Richmond. So, like, literally when autism was being identified, your mom yes. was on the forefront. And they would go out, you know, they had the helmets and the the lower yeah. ones. And then from there, like, when she retired, then she went to Amelia Street, which is back to the very lowest. Wow. Ones. And so that's what she does, and yeah, that's what they do. And is she retired now? Yes, finally. Yeah, and your dad's retired too. I finally, heard. yes, he's retired. I don't know how official or how his works though, because he might pop back. Because I think he, I think he enjoys it, and oh, and yeah. he loves giving. And he teaches, too. you know, all the ministers, like mm. the guy who's the dean. I remember when that guy was his student. I remember when Lance Watson's the big. Richmond Church guy. I remember when he was a student. <laughs> well, and, and your dad goes all over the world, too. Or yes. he was, right? Yeah. Uh, he still does that. Really? Yeah, he still does that. How does his name get out like that? Just because his name Through the professor stuff. Okay. You know, with... Because being the dean of where all the preachers come from. Yeah, they're producing... I remember a as a number. kid, like... You know, we'd see Jesse Jackson. Before he was big... He at at Union? No- at Union, he might be at like another preacher's apartment, like when they were coming through, because they're yeah. not that far apart. And he was just, oh, the guy with the, that's the guy with the fro, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, you know, he's sending in and so you know, he's all they that group of preachers stayed in contact, and they some of them have like churches of like the size of this neighborhood. The church wow. we went to in New York was, it's. Its area was bigger than any high school I've worked at. That's, like the, that's crazy. the church was bigger. The church owned the whole block. And that's in the city? Yes. And it was the third biggest church. Wow. It was the whole block. It was like from 146 to 144th. Wow. And it was all the buildings on both sides. Wow. It was a big, giant building. Then they owned all the brownstones on both sides of the street. They had a, now there's a school connected to a public school connected to the church. Mm. Like that was your little league, boy scout, everything. 
Like if you went to that church, you didn't have everything. You, all, you always went there. Yeah, yeah. And you didn't have to do anything. So if you went to the church, that was your little league, your art class. You take music. You take everything was through that church. And your daycare. Uh, your dad spoke. You're talking about twenty thousand people. Your dad spoke in front of twenty thousand people several times, right? I would. Yeah. Yeah. At least that's what I've heard about. Yeah. Him. Yeah. So he might speak at like you know somebody like. Jeremiah Wright's church. Mm. Well, yeah, it's 20,000. <laughs> Looks like a stadium or something. It's, it is yeah. a stadium. <laughs> yeah, like, so. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you you know, you got used to that. Oh, that's Jeremiah Wright. And that's uh, Jesse Jackson. And that's uh, so-and-so. That's, uh, so what What were you doing when you were like 8 to 12 years old in New York? When you when you had spare time, mom or dad weren't telling you what to do. You weren't in school. You weren't playing sports. When you just got to do whatever you wanted, what were you doing? I just go to Riverside Park, just walk around, run around. Yeah, um, it's a lot more organized for a kid to do. Living in the city as a kid is underestimated. Mm. Rec centers, boys and girls club, after school program, um, easier to get involved. You know, if you can just make it to the after school program, well, now if you want to play this sport, you want to learn how to do this, do that, and art, and then this leg will take you to Radio City. I did more in New York than anywhere else. I was probably better for a kid. We went to, with school, we went to Radio City Music Hall every two weeks. Wow. Went to the Apollo every two weeks. It was just standard. Wow. So, no, even when I was teaching in Richmond, those kids still have access to stuff for kids more than everywhere else. Huh. Yeah, it's not even close. Yeah. A city kid can get to do something. Right. You know, they without much effort, it sounds yeah, like. yeah, they can get to do something. It's just so many distractions to do something that you shouldn't do, but it's there. And so, you see a lot of people make it out of the city, a lot of you know, a high percentage of their kids make it out into something big because they got a shot, yeah, they can get to it, you know, if they can stay with it. It sounds like there's some mentorship going on, too. Oh, yeah, a lot, yeah, a lot. So, you're a sports guy, did you have other interests growing up besides sports? Um, I like to draw. Uh, I was never music. Um, art was pretty smart in school. Um, science stuff. I love bugs. Really? Yeah. I'd catch every type of bug. To the, to this, me. Snakes. To this day, are you like that? Oh, yeah. And everybody gets mad. Because <laughs> I'll catch prey man that's bringing in the house. <laughs> catch, uh, I love pretty much all animals. Yeah. Um, Lizards, frogs, but I I really like bugs. And my favorite was spiders, and I had every type. You love spiders? Yeah. Uh, are you afraid of any animal? Like, um, like, I can't stand snakes. Snakes scare the... Nah, I had a snake. College, I had oof, a snake. Oof. I had a snake, like, early out of college. I had a snake. Um, a python and a boa constrictor. Okay. No, I'm definitely not afraid of snakes. No. I, I kind of like snakes. A snake on TV scares me. Oh, That's no, how I bad like I don't like snakes. Uh, all right, so when you were 12 coming back to this area, 7th grade? Yeah. Okay. So you went to Gandhi. Gandhi, then, yes. And then you went to Liberty, because Liberty back then was 8th yeah. and ninth, and then you did 10 through 12. Yes. Because yep. I'm I'm three years younger than you. I was the first group that went to the 7th grade Liberty. Okay. Yeah. When they went 7 to 9 for Liberty back in the early 80s. And I think I came back as a teacher in my second year teaching at Patrick Henry or 
second or third, the ninth graders left right. Liberty and came to Patrick Henry. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't know the Henrico schools hated us because they were they were already on the middle school. So you had an eighth grade team that played the middle school, and the ninth grade you had the ninth grade team was a big deal for Lee Davis and Patrick Henry, but it meant nothing for. Well, you who, know, who were they playing? JV wasn't really a thing. Oh, okay. Um, JV was really B team mm. until like my junior year. Then JV became a thing when the Patrick Henry, when the Hanover schools put the ninth graders in, then JV became a thing. But ninth grade was the thing. Because they were just at Liberty. Yeah. But they were also, everybody else played ninth grade, like right. Hounds, all the other schools. So you had a full ninth grade team, and then 10, 11, and 12 were on varsity. If you didn't get to play, there was a Saturday morning B team game. <laughs> and they played a full schedule. How long did that go? That probably, they said that had been going on probably from the 70s. Wow. So you were right at the cusp of that yeah, whole. Yeah. And the JV. early 70s, and then. The JV thing got big instead. JV instead of ninth grade, like my junior year, like everyone else did it too. Right. So it looked like the district and the region were like, okay, this is how we're gonna do it now. Yeah, yeah. You're on the cusp of that yeah. that environment, that structure, into what we know today is yeah. JV and varsity. Yep. And I know, like Northern Virginia, they still do the ninth grade. Really shocked. Ninth grade in the B team. Wow. Because they had those giant schools. Oh, yeah, yeah. They could do it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So a whole bunch of people don't play for Westfield or Centerfield. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Centerville, they got 3,000 students. There's a lot of people that didn't get in the game. And if, yeah, if you wanted to play, you were <laughs> Yeah, play. you played the B-team game Saturday. And they, they're still, still They doing still it? do it. That's wild. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, once you get to Fairfax, they City go back to the old. City of Richmond doesn't have schools that are that big. No. Huguenot, though, and they say with our – Getting there? Yeah, Huguenot, they say, is already there. Really? Yeah. Well, they rebuilt Huguenot, didn't they? They rebuilt Huguenot and all the people on the south side. So we're on this side of the river, so we didn't have city schools have no enrollment. But on the other side, they do. I didn't. I had no idea George met the George with coaches. They have 15, 14, 1,500 kids. Wow. I had no idea. I Me knew either. Huguenot did, but I didn't know George with it, all those kids. Well, we're going to talk about you, you playing sports uh, c- coming up, but – when you played, Jefferson, Huguenot, and Wythe were all one football team. Yeah, and they were really all one basketball team. They were, they were, the, they were good. Unbelievable. Patrick Henry, I, I don't know your years, but like the 85, 86 teams, I remember those games against JHW. I'm like, those, yeah. it felt like it was a college game a little bit. It was. It was, it, was, it was great just to say you played them. Yeah. And every now and then we play Marshall Walker, who was, of course, their equal or their superior. and In basketball and, in particular. Yeah. yeah. But in football, they were like they were equally. Yeah, no, equally, you're right. But they were, they were like our big games when, when our big wins were over JHW. Yeah. yeah. Those were our first wins that kind of got us, you know, hey, we're now part of the – the good teams, we yeah. could beat JHW. You're part of upper yeah, echelon. Yeah, upper echelon. And JHW regularly beat Highland Springs. And, you know, they were. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, they were. Highland Springs wasn't the, the king that they seem to be now. They were. Yeah, actually, they were. 
JHW gave him a tough Yeah, game they gave him a tough time. time, but Hound Springs was probably as dominant or more dominant in this area. So they've the been 70s dominant. And 80s. Yeah, they've pretty years. much essentially from the time it opened. For five decades. Yeah. And their down will be like seven and three. Right, right. Yeah, they, they have been there the whole time. It, do you think that's coaching? No, it's neighborhood. Neighborhood. It's it's okay. it's, it's a lot similar to Patrick Henry. Once you stay up there that long, right, that just become that becomes a way of life. It wasn't a way of life for Verona, but I actually was involved when it because it's the same way there. Yeah, and you know, but I was in coaching, watching that same attitude develop there. You know, it's just something that becomes a way of life. Yeah, Dominique yeah. Smith at that Hall of Fame ceremony for Patrick Henry, when they asked him his favorite memory or his – I don't remember exactly how the guy phrased the question, but he basically said watching the 94 team, because he graduated in 97, yeah. 98. He said, watching that 94 team, I learned what dedication to yes. a craft was. And so when I was coming through, I, I had to work as hard, if not harder, than those guys. And those guys were were doing crazy stuff. Yeah, they were doing what kids do today. Is right. <laughs> yeah. But mo- most schools weren't doing it. Yeah, they, were, they were already doing it. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. And it was out of nowhere. Nobody was really making them do it. They just sort of did it. It was just a filtered It's It's pretty time. cool to be a part of. Yeah. Um, All right, so did you play anything besides football? Basketball. I thought I was a basketball player. You were you thought you were more of a basketball player yeah. than a football player, until literally my senior year in high school. Okay, and what happened your senior year in high school? Ah, uh, the recruiters came in for basketball and they were two and three, and recruiters came in for football and they were mostly ones. Yeah, and Coach Long was like, you know, you probably ought to look at those bigger ones. And Dale Chenault was a basketball coach. He was like. Did what he said, <laughs> and that's when I started really thinking about football. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you you started what two or three years both sports? Yeah, I was on varsity all four years. So I would come over from Liberty. I played a ninth grade game, and then dress Friday. The end of the year, I'd play, and then basketball. Soon as the ninth grade season ended. Dell Jackson and I would start on the varsity in the ninth grade. What? Because you were that much taller or that you were that good? See, all the other schools were already doing it because they were in high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was the – they with, like, the class right before us, they were starting – these ninth graders are high school eligible. And right. they started bringing them over, and they really started heavily bringing them over the year before us and us. So you're So Sonia ran varsity track and like as a almost grader. as a ninth grader. So wait a minute, you played varsity all four years in both sports? Yeah. But that wasn't in that group, in that class, it was a few of us who did it because they were like, we need to be doing this now. Who who were the other guys that did the Dell Jackson, um, Sammy Hart did mix in baseball. Yeah. Like so if you they could have done it before but they hadn't. They just said, didn't. Wasn't they didn't. A thing. You know, you just didn't cross that street. Well, then they started sending kids across the street, and then after us, it became moderately common. Like Huck yeah. Miner did four years. Okay. And, um, Donnie didn't. I know that. It yeah. bothers him to this day. But Miner was bigger than than um than Donnie. Well, how tall were you in ninth grade? Probably six 
three. Okay, you were a tall yeah. kid for ninth grade. And uh, Jackson, Dell Jackson was probably already six five, and he ended up like six seven, six eight. Yeah. What position did you play in football? Football. I started off a DN and a receiver. Um, and then when Long came in, he said you're going in the secondary. Really? Yeah. You were tall though. No, I was like one of the. Fa- I was probably in the top three or four fastest guys on the team, and I could catch because I'd always been a receiver. But you were and tall. A basketball player. guys, your height. Actually, back then, they people were putting the big guys in the secondary. It was really? that era, like you know David Fulcher, and Joey Browner, and yeah, you know those guys are big. Mel Blunt's like six four, six five. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. people don't think of them as big. I, I those definitely guys don't are think of big. Them. Like. Yeah, if you're a safety, you're big. Yeah, uh, you know Jock Jones? Yeah. Yeah, Jock played free safety. I'm like, what? Yeah, but it's average size. Those are like like all my college safety guys were my size or bigger. And they were just – Yeah, all the ones in the all-star game played in the state. They're they're just staring. You just don't think of those guys as being that big. They're they're not like that now, right? College and pros, they might be 6'1". Corners are smaller. The safeties are big. Uh, Now, if you're my height – because the whole game's gotten smaller, they're gonna move you all the way up. Right. Which was what I wanted to do. But you, you, you would prefer I to play wanted DN? to be at DN outside backer, get close to the action, don't have to all those rules and stuff. Just go get the ball. What, what was your best team you were on at PH? Was it your senior? My year? senior year. Yeah. What was y'all's record? Seven and three. Okay. They didn't miss the playoffs by one game. Mm. Did you ever go to the playoffs? Nope. Yeah, that's a bummer. The next year they went. Was Ray your coach back then? Yes, it was Ray's first year. Oh, wow. And then the next year they went. We missed by one game, and then the next year they made it by one game. Wow. And so you, you by the time you were thinking about graduating or maybe halfway through that senior year, you were like, I, I'm going to play college football? Was that the idea? Um, the recruiting list came out, you know, the, you know that like – areas most wanted was literally what they called it and was it, was it, in, the, good, was it in the paper or was it mm-hmm. a separate public it was in the paper it was in the paper but they i don't know they got it from like mixing up street and smiths and all that stuff yeah well, i had no idea and i'd had a really good summer in basketball so i was like d2 people offered me this school and that school and john looked and said well, if you want to go to that little school, fine. But <laughs> here's this and this and this. Right. And over the season, I started to accept because I football was easier. You know. Why do you think it was easier? Well, it's more people out there, and I guess it was just easier. I didn't have to really, really work to do well. Okay. And every game, I could, you know, it was kind of easy. Like, it was easy to do pretty good. Okay. Easy to understand. Not much effort. Basketball is not easy for anyone. Yeah. I guess if you're maybe seven feet. I mean, it's really not easy. It's a skill sport. Yeah. So. And it's a, a pretty physical sport, yeah. too. Yeah. So, you know, it's not easy for anybody. So, everybody's struggling in basketball. Even the best guy. Yeah. And so, football, it's. You know, it's more chances at success with more people out there. It's a, easier to do your job. It's 22 people splitting jobs. Where in basketball, you're the main guy. You're carrying the other guys. And then, you know, it's um, – In football, they can be breakaways and, yeah, you're, yeah. you're just running. And you have – each player has a specific job. Yeah. 
Basketball, everybody's doing almost everything. Everything. Yeah. And so. And there's nowhere to hide on a basketball court. No. uh, It's tough to put. It's tough to hide somebody with a weakness. And that's really in basketball coaching. It's how good a coach am I to get the weakest get productivity out of somebody who's really too weak to do. They really don't have enough skill and you're hiding them. Right. And that is the skill. That is the skill in basketball coaching. Yeah. Getting them to not have a weakness and then hiding what weaknesses they have. Yeah, and if your weakness is too bad, you're going to uh, be hidden on the bench. Yeah. Or, or just not make the team. Uh, all right, so you were being recruited. Mm-hmm. Who, who were your top three or four schools that you were looking at? Um, I mean, I visited UVA and Maryland, but being serious about football for only a year or two – and I looked at the guys like, oh man, they look, they look, they've been in the weight room, and I haven't been in the weight room. They're a lot bigger. The, yeah, they really weren't though. It was really? really in my mind. You might be the same height, but I mean, they were more muscular, but they really weren't any bigger. Okay. Like, but in your mind, they look like giants. But but they just been lifting a couple of years, and you haven't. Right, right, right. But that would go away in like two months. Right. But, you know, so they – so I was like, well, I like Richmond, and they were really recruiting me, William and Mary. Um, so you're, South Carolina State was where I really liked. What, was, know, it, what was, was about them? Uh, they were battling for what was then the 1AA National Championship. Okay. Um, lots – it was before Prop 48. Mm. So, really – the HBCUs had much better players in one double A than Richmond. You know, like this was there, Walter Payton, Jerry Rice. Like I played right. against John Taylor, Jerry Rice, Ray Alexander. Wow. You know, like when you look at the drafts from when I was in school. They were coming out of the HBCUs, yeah. a lot of them. Yeah. And that Prop 48 happened. And so they would get those guys and then have them ineligible for a year, guys who really wouldn't have qualified. And that's why Virginia Union had Charles Oakley and Terry Davis. And, yeah. Well, when Prop 48 came, you were going to sit no matter where you went. We might as well go to the big school. Yeah. yeah and that's, you know, that's nah. going to change. But, okay. like, really, I they were I preferred Richmond and William & Mary. But they were way better at that time. Like, Florida and m had just won the national championships. Oklahoma State was – because they just had better players yeah. at that time. And that – the the rule hit, I think, when I was a junior in college. I was just saying, it hit right before yeah. I went into high school. Yeah, and that flipped everything. But it took four years for you to see it. Yeah. 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 I, I don't have an appreciation for Prop 48 because uh, I didn't play in college for one. And, but I, I definitely followed college sports. And I knew it was a thing for guys around my age where they had to get certain grades. Yeah. Now, in uh, the long run, it was good. In the long run, it was good because no one knew what good grades were. Mm. Good grades were this in Goochland and this in Hanover and this in New York and this in D.C. and this at that school. It was just good grades. But what are good grades? The schools ain't all at the same standards. Right. At this school, nobody takes the SAT. At that school, everybody takes Well, it's sort of this is what you have to have. Well, then people started aiming towards it. Yeah, sure. Gave them something to shoot. Yeah, but before you know it. You would, they would just say so and so is dumb, so and so is a bad student. We had no idea. Then you end up looking. Well, that they didn't have any worse grades, but no one knew what. You know, yeah. like they knew. 
a bunch of the guys, you know, from my era that ended up in the CIAA and then they could have easily had better grades. They just literally no one knew what the standards were. Yeah, well, it's, it's still kind of <laughs> like that, right? And, nah, it's about six, seven years after that. They start, you might go to a high school that wins a lot and you'll see those charts up. Sliding scale. If you get this GPA, you get this. You, and so rather than waiting, when you see Damien Woody's a ninth grader, you said, look, you got to have these grades, you got to have this, you got to have this. And then the schools helped uh, in the 2000s. Most of them went to, you got to have a 2-0 to play, which was yeah. a heavy, you know, it was a pretty shot. But then they changed grading scale. And now, you know, they're preparing the kids. So Richmond went from, all they do is produce CIAA players. Yeah. To now, it's more players coming out of 804 than 757. Oh, yeah. And it's, it was basically just the grades went up here. Yeah. The players didn't get better. When I, when I was saying that it's not, it's hard to compare, like, does a 3.5 at Patrick Henry mean the same thing as a 3.5 at Henrico? Now it does. Oh, it does. Okay. Yeah, now it does. Yeah, that's great. SOLs, they kind of uniformed. Everything as best they could. Yeah. yeah. Now, what becomes different is why does this kid have a four point four and this kid have a three point five? Right. With the weighted classes and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So, how did you pick the college you went to? I what? wanted to go to South Carolina State. They came to my house. The assistant and head of my recruiting didn't speak well enough for my mother. <laughs> Meaning he wasn't fluent in English. Yes. Wow. He didn't sound like the Howard guy, like the Richmond guy. He d- he didn't sound educated. Yes, but he was. But he didn't say what not to her standards. Wow. And I'm telling you, the mo- started, it's all about the mom. She started pounding that in, and somehow the Howard guy found that out. So he sent <laughs> his PhD student. Re- coach as my lead recruiter. Wow. I didn't even like the guy. But my parents did. And, and that the, switched. Yeah, the parents the parents uh, for an 18-year-old have all kinds of uh, yeah. influence, if not control. Um, William and Mary, I liked William and Mary. Didn't like where it was. I wanted to go to school in a city, though. Yeah. yeah and so you ended up in for DC. a dumb reason... Radio stations, what we were talking about earlier, yeah. with the I wanted the twenty-four hour good radio stations. Well, you're gonna have those in big cities. You're not gonna have it at James Madison. And James Madison offered me; they were starting to be good. And I was like, nope, Harrisonburg, nope. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's nothing twenty-four-seven about nope. Harrisonburg. It is now, but not then. Yeah. yeah. So you yeah. ended up going to Howard, which mm-hmm. has a fantastic reputation academically, yes. right? And I was deciding to. Do communications, and they're really big in that. You know, like, so you really enjoyed your experience at Howard. Yes, yes. But and that's a comment about playing football, and that's also a comment about the academics. Um, all of it. Okay. The experience. Um, Howard's very international, which I didn't know. Hmm. I, I got I didn't there. Know that. Yeah, like it's probably sixty forty, probably fifty fifty. Really? Because all those kids. Wait a minute, you mean 50% American, 50% international? Yes. Wow. All the African kids. Okay. Well, that's the school. 
That's the HBCU that they're going to go to. Right. Howard. Some Hampton, a couple other places, but Howard is the focal point if you're from Africa, and that's the school for if you're from Barbados, Trinidad, Virgin Islands. All. And so it's like 50-50. We were contending for the national championship at junior and senior year. Uh, we were always behind the soccer team, though. <laughs> soccer teams sell out every game. They won the national championship like a few years ago. I had no idea. Yeah, they were. We were second, and track was huge. Yeah, because that's what the Ford people do. Yeah, yeah. basketball was good. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever uh, think about trying? Yeah, out? I'd go out there to duck spring ball. Okay. Then then they'd catch me. I'd sneak about five. I could get out of like two three weeks of workouts by being on the basketball team, and then the football coach would go, "Do you really need him?" <laughs> so what position you play at Howard? What, Ed? In football. Defensive back. Okay. But, you know, by then people were playing five DBs, so sometimes I'd be the middle safety and sometimes I'd roll down. It would really be a lot. Well, everybody's playing at four two five now. It's really right. not. It's really a 4-4, four, four, but you're calling the two stand-up ends outside backers. Well, now people are calling them safeties. Their job same as it was when you played. Yeah. 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 That <laughs> so, makes sense. Now, those three guys are interchangeable. They were when I played at my school, with Patrick Henry, they were. Yeah. But at other schools, they might not be. Now they're completely interchangeable. But then some people still don't do it, but it causes you the same problems. If So basically, you have two linebackers yeah. or one if you play like, you know, a five man front. So most people two corners, a four three two. safeties, two linebackers of some type, and four linemen, or three linebackers of some type and three linemen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, cool. So what were you going to do after you graduated? Um, found out I could sneak my way into Canada because it's the guy who was the, my mentor as a freshman. He was like, you can get into Canada. Just do this, this, and this. And I wasn't going to do that. And so I did that. Um, the stuff went to these basically tryout camps. You hit this one, this one, this one. So I was doing that on the side. And I already had um, internships. My okay. major was journalism. And I had internships. And I had one that was, we were supposed to go Roanoke, three months in Roanoke, three months in Charlotte. And I think it was three months in Norfolk. Someday the same group owned all three of those papers. Okay. And it's whoever owned the New York Times because newspapers used to be big and now they're toast. They're but oh, um, So I started the internship in Roanoke, drove, wrecked. Oh. Wrecked. Like, like so. bad wreck. No. But enough I literally to stop rolled over the car. Hadn't got to Roanoke yet. Got out, looked at the car. Car was still running. Drove it you to did, Roanoke. You did a 360 effect. Yes. Wow. Drove it to Roanoke. Did not tell my parents because it was their car. I didn't tell them until like two weeks later. Well, there had to be damage on it, right? Yeah, but hardly none. Wow. And it was on the top. Like, <laughs> well, your dad's a tall guy. He could have. They just it. didn't notice. <laughs> and so they're like, man, it looks scratched up. So I drove, did the interview, got the job. Came back and was like, it's bad luck. It's bad luck. Not going to do it. All right, so I'll wait. And a friend of mine, I'll either do this Canada thing again, or I'm going to go to 
get the internship at the Washington Post, which was, you know, back in D.C. And did you want to be a sports guy? Yeah. Sports journalist? And that's what I did all through college. And I was the editor of sports. And I had an internship at the Post, an African-American. I was already set it in and said, well, I'm going to teach a year. I'll just teach this year. And then I'll go to the internship in the summer. Never went to the internship. And so you, you've basically been teaching ever since you yep. got out. Yeah, and then I do the the Canadian thing for a couple of years. I do that. Like, where's he going? Because it was all weekends. It was perfect. <laughs> like the preseason stuff. That was your weekend job. Yeah, it was Friday to Sunday. You didn't have to do anything Monday to Thursday. Nope, not until till the summer. We were out of school and the season started. Right. Even that remained like they call it what they call mini camp. Huh. And so it'd be like now Thursday to Sunday. You come back home. Thursday, Sunday, come back home. <laughs> so those fields in Canadian Football League, and you, you you went up there a couple different times. I mean, it's bigger. The end zones are bigger. The field's yes. bigger. They do that crazy run. Yeah, run in motion. You can't go out there. Yeah. There's no way. you got to be 15 yards off the line of scrimmage to even deal with him, right? No, nah, what you actually do, mm. you have deep. I have short. When he starts running, we both stand there. You take off, I cut him when he's running. Oh, all right. <laughs> and that's how you slow him that, down. That'll work. I'm just yeah. saying man to man, there's no way you can No, nah, you'd have to turn and run. He's already running and you stand still. Yeah, you're stark. <laughs> yeah, you're and done. Yeah, and no you're way. running backwards. You really have no chance. <laughs> None. None whatsoever. All right, so uh, what, were you, what have you been teaching all these years? Um, I was supposed to teach journalism because that's what I started off certified in. But my minor was education and history. Okay. And so mostly I've been social studies. But I can teach English and journalism. And Did you teach up in D.C. or did you come down here almost immediately? In D.C., no. I um, came here and... And here meaning Patrick Henry? Yeah. Okay. I came here. Um, a couple of my friends were in D.C., but I didn't try. I didn't even try to do... But I did my student teaching there. Okay. Um, Cardoza High School. I don't know anything about Cardoza. Yeah, Cardoza is like right down the street from Howard. Okay. Yeah, it's like all the high schools are wrapped around Howard. Hmm. And when I covered them, I used to walk and catch the bus. Yeah. Because in the off season, I covered basketball. Okay. And D.C. high school basketball was, you know, before all the kids went to private school. Yeah. But they still had like DeMatha and Sage. So they were awesome. But the public schools were every bit as awesome. So you'd go see a game. I'd cover a game, all 10 starters, Division One players. That's crazy. And it would be like just a random game in the middle of the week. And then the championship game would be like, who was dominant? And Spingarn with Sherman Douglas and four other college guys beat Danny Ferry, John Gwynn, Steve Hood, DeMatha. Wow. And it was just a standard game. That's just basketball in D.C. Yeah. yeah. And the championship game would be like Cole, old Cole Fieldhouse. Oh, yeah. Sell it out. I, I have to say this. She's brought Cole Fieldhouse. The, I went to one game. Maryland played Duke when uh, Lynn Bias yes. was a sophomore. And he he didn't make a huge splash his freshman year, but his sophomore, sophomore year, year was, was crazy. And I in warm-ups, I'm like, who is that guy? Because he, he was 6'8". 
and he could jump. And he, I, I'll never forget this. We, we had, we were really lucky. We had good seats, so I, I kind of felt like I was right there. He ball hits the rim off the backboard. He gets the offensive rebound, grabs with one hand, brings it to his other hand, other hand and then and just dunks it. Dunks yes. it. I'm like, what is that? Well, all the DC guys were, you know, on the team at Howard. Yeah, they all knew him. Yeah, man. they were all buddies with Lynn Bias and Adrian Branch. So at the Jordan game when he does a rock the cradle, mm-hmm. like Ace, like Maryland and UNC are tied. I guess it's Jordan's sophomore year. Okay, I think I'm a freshman. No, it must be his junior year. He Maryland's winning the whole game. They come back at the end and he ices it with the rock the cradle in the game. In the game, yeah, Bias is a freshman, and then that next year he leaves, and that's when Bias wins the ACC tournament. And Bias is the best player in the ACC as a uh, sophomore. I, how is history different if he doesn't die? Oh my gosh! Because Jordan was stuck at the Bulls. Yep. All the other players, all the other great players, except for Akeem, Houston was good yeah. when he hit. They were all stuck in bad franchises. Bad t- I don't know how the Celtics had the number two pick that year. Oh, they somebody traded the number two pick for some bum in a red airbag trip. There would be no decline. None. Because None. Bird would have literally handed off. Yeah. This was 86. Bird's Bird back. at his prime. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, He hands it to Bias. So as Bird fails, they, you know, fades. His back is they'd messed have, up. Yeah. yeah, they'd have Bias and... If Bias is on Boston, I don't know. I can be pretty sure the Bulls don't become the Bulls. Oh, they don't win six. They don't win any. You don't think they win any? They don't win any because Jordan leaves. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He just got tired. Yeah, he went for seven years, and it, five of them, they weren't good at all. He was the only thing happening Yeah, to them. they don't start to get good until really the Pippen and, and Doug Collins and Phil Jackson. Yep, yep. Yeah, he's not going to stay there. That's a good point. It's a really yeah, good he point. He wouldn't have stayed there. So yeah, I I I was very very sad when I heard about Lynn Bias. So sad because it was like the the yeah. next day or that night of the draft. It was that night, yeah. And you know the Howard players were friends with him. He had been above us in summer school, so he got drafted, and they were you know they all hung out, and they were all we could hear them up because the football teams down here and they're up there. We yeah. could hear them up there celebrating, and then they leave. And then that, and then we hear that the next morning. One one of the saddest sports things that I as a Richmond kid. Um, oh yeah, went Terry to Long went to Hermitage. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I don't know what Terry's involvement with that stuff was, but yeah, they were together that night. For sure. No, the whole team was there. Okay. Because they were all there. They were all at Howard earlier. Gotcha. And they and, and then they went back and they took the Howard guys with them. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so you came back to Patrick Henry. You you didn't you hadn't been away very long for Patrick Henry. No, nope, you came back way long. And so, how long did you teach Patrick Henry when you came back? Thirteen, twelve or thirteen. It's years. a pretty long time. Yeah. So, in, from your early mid twenties into your well into your thirties. Yeah, I think I was like maybe thirty four when when I went to I didn't go to Hermit. I went to TJ to mm. be the basketball coach. Oh, so you, that's what you were coaching back then was TJ basketball. Yeah, just the one year I was the basketball coach at Patrick Henry for like six or seven years because I was doing football the whole time. I became a head basketball coach, maybe ninety two, ninety three. So you were in your late twenties at that point. Probably mid mid twenties. Mid twenties. 
and then the guy at the school literally started to change. So Dinwiddie or Caroline's makeup, you're really good in basketball. When you become, you know, more, I don't know if we had Lee's makeup because it's more suburban. We were Powhatan. Yeah. yeah. Well, we weren't going to beat John Marshall being Powhatan. Right. And But we were used to that. Like our first year we won the district. We were second four or five times. We had Dominique and E.T. Jackson and Greg Smith was – Greg Smith's numbers are right there with Dominique's. You know, he's an all-time leading scorer at Delaware. Wow. Well, you know, I had Aaron. Because Aaron was recruited as much in basketball well, as football. Let's be clear so. for the audience. You're talking about your younger brother. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, Donnell's one of the all-time leading scorers in basketball. Well, now you go to, like, nobody even plays. Yeah. It's weird. Well, so let, let me ask you this. I, I remember at Patch Henry in the mid-'80s, because I, I went to school with these guys through seventh grade, mm-hmm. and then I ended up going to St. Christopher's in the city. But uh, I still played rec ball with all these guys. And I knew who the, the really good athletes were, and about half of them didn't play in school because they either chose not to or they didn't have the grades or whatever. Right. And I'm like, that guy who's starting and pick a position on the football field, he's actually always, not the best Always guy. somebody better. Oh, always. Always somebody better. And I'm like, why can't we get all these kids to play? They, like, they would have killed everybody. But everybody was going through the same. Yeah, it wasn't thing. just Patrick. It just Patrick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, rural tends to lose more, though. Yeah. A rural place loses more than the city. We talked about um, the city, everyone can see you, and they're all in the rec club centers together. So it's more people pushing you. And rural, Nobody's then, you. because you could get, you're out here in a rural area. If you flat out dropped out, you could get a pretty good paying job. Mm. Now, that wasn't available in the city. Right. right, yeah, right. So they don't lose quite as many. Because you'd have a guy. We had a one player. He was as he was probably a potential pro. He played his junior year, was on the state championship team, and dropped out of school with passing grades. He was already being recruited. He just disappeared. I can think of... This is when you were a coach? Yeah, this was the 94 team. Yeah, the state champs. The, there was a kid on the team who was as good as... He was, you know, the linemen were special. Sure. But as a defensive back, this kid was like six feet tall, around 4'4", 40. He could just stand there under the basket and dunk. You never knew what happened to him? He dropped out, so he got a job, and it, it was okay with his family to do that because it was a pretty decent job. Wow. It was like Bear Island or something. Um, when I played, the year after I graduated, a 1,000-yard rusher as a sophomore as a junior, and he was like all-district baseball player. Senior year, he dropped out of school, and Ray went and got him. Wow. He went and got him from his job, but he was the only – you know, people did that. Yeah. And so, hey, we like lose the best guy. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> like, it was like you had to be prepared to lose the best guy, and he didn't fail all. He just dropped out yeah. to get a job. Wow. It's crazy. And so that doesn't happen anymore, surprisingly. Yeah. Like it really – when – because they go get – the kids are identified so early, like – you can get a 
a kid not making it that's that high up, not getting out of high school is rare. Yeah. Yeah, where before it wasn't. Everybody was going through the same thing. Well, these days, and I'm, you could tell me because you've been teaching yeah. and coaching for a long time in the area. Uh, I mean, people will go pick those kids up. Yes. Right. That kid who, yes. who dropped out with passing grades. Yeah. There, there's a like, lot. Like, it was unusual that Ray would go get him. Right. Oh, that had to be extremely rare. But it became more normalized. Right. Became more normalized for somebody to go, hey, go get so-and-so. Yeah. Yeah, but I guess previous to that era, nobody went, ah, someone's going well, to He's just going to do what he's going to do, yeah. Yeah. Well, in sport, sports, for people that played it and coached it, it's always been important. But yes. I, the fandom Might not be important to your family. Education may not be important. Did your parents come to a lot of your games? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, everything that they were in town for, they came. Yes, Sonia said that her mom never came. Never came. To her you know, I, I knew her, Bob. <laughs> and they didn't. And we didn't think anything of it. You know, it was just, you know, she never, she would like be there. We would go pick her up because we were all friends in high school together. Right. It was like, you know, a big crew. Everybody played. And she was a cheerleader. And so we were all riding together. And her mother would be at home. <laughs> we would pick her up. <laughs> like half of our friends. Your parents didn't come to anything. Yeah, wow. It was just like normal. Yeah, I guess, yeah. I guess that's how it is. That's how it is. Yeah. You don't think much of it. I th- but you, your wife says she now goes to everything. Yes. Every, yes literally does. everything, which is cool. That's really cool. All right, so you've been a head coach for over two decades now. In something, yeah. But this is my first year as head coach in football. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so you were uh, when you were at Hermitage, it was, you were just D coordinator kind of thing? I was a D coordinator at Patrick Henry, and somehow I became an offensive person at Hermitage. Huh. Don't know how it happened. Because you've always identified more as a defensive Yes. Yeah. yeah. But the game changed to passing, and I was always a two-way player. Okay. You know, in that receiver, DB area. So as the game spread out, those people, the defensive back-type people – because I was defensive coordinator, but I designed like half of the passing plays mm. from the beginning, you know, when I first started coaching. So what do you love about football? Because clearly it's something more you, you played it and coached it for More decades. people, like I talked about earlier, more people can have more success. And that includes coaches, players, there's just more spots on the field for more people to be successful. Yeah. And... Not as basketball, probably baseball, pretty tough in that everybody wants the other person's spot. Right. Basketball team's never happy. The leading score is mad because someone on the other team, their leading score at Benedictine shoots 30 times a game he doesn't get to. The second leading score is mad because he's not the first leading score. The third leading score is mad that he's not second. Yeah. And no matter how much success you have or where you are, that doesn't change. But football's there's a lot of uh, yeah. Lot you of know, after a while, Damien's an offensive tackle, and in little league, the running back's a star. But by the time you get to high school, well, I'm being more recruited than a running back, so I'm fine right here. Yeah. And you know, everyone has a chance to be a star in their own little world. What's your coaching style? Um, you know, well, well, hold on. What, what what would people say your coaching style is, and what would you say it is? Um, 
Are you a hermitage or a comedy like a strategist guy? Yeah, I was going to say more of a thinker kind of. Yeah. Patrick Henry. I don't know what they thought of me as Patrick Henry. I was young. I used to bang my head on the chalkboard, <laughs> knock myself out one game. So you you, you motivated junior. the kids too. Yeah, um, they'd probably call you more of a motivator. Okay. And it seemed like Harold Henry and Jimmy Cobb were sort of the brain trust. Okay, um, I was really with them, but I was too young for people to be associated with them. But I was more like them. Okay. Yeah. Um, Harold, now I'd be more of a, yeah, I guess I'd be strategist thinker. <laughs> Harold Henry is a wonderful human being, by the way. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you were very fortunate to be around him. Yeah, those were, you know, and those were, Ray was the program builder. And he may be the best ever in the area in finding, building, delegating. Mm. Yeah. Because I met now, you know, I worked for Kane. He's like six on wins. Worked for Bedwell. I think he may be one or two. Wow. And like Long is maybe two or three. They don't delegate like he does. And he's okay with whoever doing whatever. Ray's not a control freak. No. Yeah. Every all those other people are, yeah, you know, like, um, and so I thought it was normal to be like him because the college coaches were more like Ray, right? Because you have to be, yeah. Um, but you know, so it's different. But yeah, he is the master of that. But he can master. He could keep the staff happy. He could keep players happy. He could keep the players with good grades happy. He could keep the bad. He was the master of. All these circus rings. Yeah, and he, he was. Keep he, them in. My impression from the outside was he was well liked and, and respected too. Yes. Yeah. Because he seemed, you know, he had all this, like he's got an eight ring circus and he's fine with all the circus, just walk over through it, all of them, and he could keep all of them happy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he didn't have to sweat the details in each ring. Yes. Yeah. But he knew the details. Yeah. He, he knew him. He needed to do quality But he insurance. would act like he didn't. <laughs> yeah, but he, nah, he knew everything. Well, it yeah. sounds like he was uh, all, all of the above in terms of his coaching style. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah that's awesome. Uh, all right, so God, your first year, did y'all have a good season? Yeah, we went pretty. We did uh, it was eight and five. Okay. We won a playoff game. Started off 4-0. and oh, Then we hit the skids. Then yeah. we got together again. And then we won a couple playoff games, and things went pretty good. Okay. And uh, Mills Godwin won a playoff game before. They strangely they hadn't. They were real good for like, uh, you know, Ron Axel at Godwin sort of mirrors, parallels Ray Long. They okay. kind of started the same time. I think Ray is third and Axel sixth or seventh. And when I was at Patrick Henry, that's who we had to beat. You had to beat John Marshall because Maggie Walker close, so it was still really kind of a complex. Right. And the other team was Godwin. Yeah. And – that's who you had. And it was like, what, a couple of years, God would be on top. Then Patrick Henry would be on top three or four, and then John Marshall would come. But, and so they won big, and then his assistant took over, Will Kitchen, who used to be at Atlee. And then I think about 2010, Kitchen retired. And then they would, they f- sort of dropped down from like one of the top people to 
still good, still making the playoffs, but always not a one to four seed, never yeah. at a home game. And so I didn't know they hadn't won a playoff game in like 15 years. It might have been more. Wow. But you assumed, I just assumed they'd won one because they were always in the playoffs. What was different yeah. uh, this past season, you think? I don't know if things were that different. They were real down during COVID mm. because they lost a couple coaches. And then the guy from that that rebuilt TJ came and he was starting to build them up. And so they were getting their numbers back to where they're normally. Yeah, it's weird how the the numbers go up. Numbers died. And so um, we got the numbers back up and got the J V team. Because the big school you need to be winning on J V. Yeah. You know, because the good teams, Highland Springs got a hundred some kids. Herman has got a hundred some kids. Verina, which is a smaller school, but they still got a hundred some kids involved yeah. in. Everybody's played football. So we got the numbers up, and so we just had more depth, so we could be good longer through the season. If somebody got hurt, we actually had another guy. But I don't think anything else was hugely different. It was where they were headed. We just had more bodies. Nice. It was a good trend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny. I I won't mention the high school name, but I I've, I saw high school just go to nothing, and I'm like, how does this happen? Because they were really good like four or five years ago, and now it looks like they barely have a program. Yeah. Now the good news is that particular school has made it back to their, mm-hmm. their competitive team again, but it's just weird how that happens. Football, track, wrestling, totally dependent on numbers. Yeah. yeah <laughs> if yeah. you have the numbers out, if you're pretty marginally competent, you'll be good. You can be brilliant if you don't have the numbers. It's not going to work out. Are you excited about next season? Very, very excited. You have a lot of kids coming back? Yeah, we got a pretty good amount coming back. We had a very good senior class, though. Yeah. It wasn't a whole lot of them, but they did a lot. Yeah. Um, so the other kids as a group are better because there's more of them, but they have to learn how to lead like those. Those seniors, they would – you know, something bad happened. They bounce back. No, we're going to be fine. Yeah. These kids have to learn how to pull the other people out of the doldrums like those kids did. If yeah. they learn to do that, then, yeah, things could be really good. Yeah. Uh, when you think about coaching and, and what you're going to do for practice, is it more scheme or are you trying to toughen these kids up? It's You're obviously get, helping them get in shape, right, because that's why two-a-days is a thing. So are you are you trying to do it all, or is there particular things you focus on in practice? Oh, you're trying to do it all. Um, the getting kids in shape is kind of faded. The two a day thing, really? They work out all year. Oh, I'm showing my age yeah. now. Yeah. yeah, they we do the two a days, but, but you don't have to as as a conditioning thing. It's not a thing because the kids are like these. Yeah, so your kids core are, kids are working out all year, and they're dedicated to football year round. Most of them? Even if they're not. Wow. Because okay. the kids who play three sports, they're already in shape. Right. Right, right. All right. The kids that play two sports, if they – that middle season, they're probably just working out. Yeah. It may not even be at the school. Like your baseball kids, they all got personal trainers or soccer kids. Yeah, so that getting in shape thing really isn't a big part of it. You will try to – Make it hard, but it's more for bonding mm. than for conditioning. Yeah. yeah. Like, we're going to go through this tough thing together. Yeah. Um, but the actual getting in shape, 
and learning to play. That's the crazy thing. Like about when I went to Hermitage, the seven on seven scene hit. Big. So then football hit, you know, became summer, fall mm. with some spring. Then they went with the off season practice thing. You're not even putting any, you're not putting in anything. That went away probably 10, 12 years ago. We had all our stuff in, in May. When you say stuff, you're talking about plays? Plays, offense, defense. So, so everybody knew everything by, yes. by the time May. And by the out. time you hit July, if there was like we had a basic couple scholarship baseball players that came in and they didn't do it in the offseason. The other kids taught them everything. <laughs> that's cool. Because they already knew it. But yeah. we weren't unusual. That's, that's everywhere. what everybody's doing. It. Yeah, that's where, yeah, which is different. So, yeah, all the stuff's in. So really polishing up and bonding and trying to, you know, get some more kids. You're really trying to get the JV to catch up with the varsity in do, the two-a-days. Do you see kids uh, at Godwin that you know – could be good because they're they're bigger. They seem to be coordinated or whatever. Do you, do you try to convince kids to go out? Or Absolutely. You, yeah. Yeah, and everybody's doing it everywhere. Yeah. That is, you know, it's number sport. Yeah. And you have to get the numbers. And there's some kids walking around at Godwin who aren't playing, you know, because they're, well, I'm concentrating on baseball or I'm concentrating on this or I'm concentrating on that or. I mean, look, and, look there are a lot of basketball and baseball players that don't want to have anything to do with football. Yeah. And, it's just not their thing. And, heck, I might have been one of them, but football's got a lot more money in the end. Yeah. They got a whole lot more scholarships. Well, and when, you, when, and when you really appreciate it, it's, it's a fun sport. Yes. And, you you know, the numbers, how many friends you're going to end up with and all of that yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. ends up mattering too. All right, so we before we started recording, you mentioned that you had done a podcast Mm-hmm. On boxing, yes. All right, why, why a podcast on boxing? Why why did you think the world needed you to talk about boxing, or was it just like I'm gonna have fun talking about this? A little of the last part. It was COVID. Boxing got going before the other sports. Boxing didn't care. Yeah, they just kept on going. <laughs> they were playing into fighting into bubbles and stuff. So, um, so they got going during COVID. I started paying attention because I go in streaks. I won't bother it a couple of years. Then I'll really be into it. Yeah. And so, you know, it's very historical. And so, and that's kind of my thing. You know, people make fun of me remembering everything. Yeah. And so, like boxing know, goes all the way back. You know, stats on yeah, boxers. like and, stats on, on anything, really. Yeah. And so... I was like, well, listen to these other people's podcast. They didn't even know who champion was in '79. I didn't know. I was like, I'm better than that. And, you know, one I was listening to a podcast and I was in the chat room and the guy said, "Well, why don't you just start one?" I was like, yeah, I don't know how to do that. And then you know, I'm stuck at home. We're no, you know, I was teaching virtually, and so I ended up doing it. Was it just you, or did you you and a buddy do it? Um, it was just me, and then one of the guys I coached with um, was like, "Well, I want to be on." And boxing has a lot of closet fans, meaning they don't think anybody else is watching boxing, 
So they'll only talk to the people in the chat room. Uh, they don't necessarily talk to each other. So once I started talking about it, our whole staff in 21, everybody with two people watched every fight, huge boxing fans. Wow, that's funny. And you find out, though, when, you know, you, man, Javante Davis, $1.2 million pay-per-view, this is pretty big. Yeah. Because that's 75 bucks for yeah, you know, and then you find out, man, it's a lot of fans, and it's oh, there's still a ton odd. of money in boxing. Yeah, it's odd, you know, because you think there aren't any fans until something happens. You'd be like, wow, Mayweather's the highest paid athlete out of everybody. And, May, I, yeah. Mayweather's uh, an anomaly. I don't know how he did what he did. I don't career. either. It wasn't even an exciting fight. Oh no, it was. And he didn't ever. become great until, you know, he didn't be, when he was great. He wasn't a big star. And then when he was older. He became a big star. A giant star fighting mostly people that weren't considered great. And he, and he outs- Tremendous market. And he outscored everybody. Well, his his fighting abilities was not questioned because he, well, maybe there's a little guy. He's really a lightweight. Yeah. And he was a knockout puncher, like dominant. But he was so skilled that he went all the way up to like middleweight. Fighting people way bigger, way strange, still beat him. Yeah. He was that skilled. But. All right. So uh, I know you remember watching this fight when it first happened. And it's been, you can watch it a million times now because I'm sure it's recorded in 5,000 places. The Hagler Sugar Ray Leonard fight. Who won that fight in your mind? Obviously, Sugar Ray got the decision, but who do you think really won that fight? Leonard won the fight. I still say because Hagler. Because Hagler let him. Hagler let him outscore him? Yes. You know, Hagler... Hagler was trying to... Kill I was him. a big fan. No, nah, he really wasn't. You don't think so? Nah. Some of those punches he threw, it looked like he was trying to end him. He was because he was frustrated. Uh, but you know in a close fight where both people are big stars, you can't let the other, the other guy... So it's, every round's going to be pretty close to even. Right. You can't let him steal the last 30 seconds just, of a I, round. It's his round. Right. Because that's all they're going to remember. He throws 40 punches in the last yes, 30 seconds. Yes, he would let him do it every... All he did was hold him. He could, there were a million things he could have done because he's stronger than him and he wasn't worried about him hurting him. So why didn't he call, grab I have him? no idea. Too prideful, I'm guessing. Yeah, I don't know. And he's also fresh. What's his name? Was, um, he hit harder than you thought he did, which was a big Mayweather thing. Right. So I think Hagler would be... Okay... You can't let him get all his punches off. If he doesn't let him get the punches off, if he just holds him and pins him in the corner, anything. He wins the fight. He gets half of those rounds and wins the fight. Yeah. But he basically just let him do it every round. Wow. That's all but. Yeah, you're right. You're here, take right. the fight. Yeah. He gave it to him. Yeah. He gave it to him. He Leonard shouldn't be able to beat Hagler in, middle, in a middleweight fight. Mm-mm. But he gave it to him. No way. And, and Hearns always seemed like the third fiddle to those two. At least when they were all middleweights. Well, they beat them. Um, I guess you could say that. Yeah. Yeah. He I mean, was, it was always my impression. Yeah, but really, when you look at their accomplishments, he was actually the best. Oh, Her- Hearns has an amazing. Because Her- Hearns kept on going because of his height. He went all up to one seventy five. Yeah, his he fought re- longer than them, and his reach was more knockouts and everything. Um. Did you prefer middleweights and, and lower weight classes to heavyweights? No, actually. Okay. I like them all. I don't like the 
I've learned to like from 126 up. Mm. I didn't used to. It used to be like welterweight up. But when you get below 126, then um, remember the game, Rock'em Sock'em oh, Robots? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Those guys coming there, the one under 125 pale guys, they just come out there and they just throw 50 million punches. They can't hurt each other. And whoever right. runs, whoever gets tired loses. <laughs> but they get destroyed because the other guy just never stops throwing punches. Yeah, and, it's wild. Yeah. But um, no, I kind of like everybody from 126 to heavyweight. I kind of appreciate Mark. all of them. I like the women. Yeah, I, that, that's not on TV a lot, though, is it? Getting on there more. Yeah. It's by five or six more years, it'll be pretty common. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let me let me ask you this and we'll move away from boxing. Best middleweight of all time. Oh, there not. Sugar Ray Robinson. Okay. It's not close. All right. But then it's a big battle for second. Why Sugar Ray Robinson though? Oh, he's absolutely dominant. Yeah, nobody for got a long there. time. And if you like power punchers, well, he hit harder than everybody else. If you like slick boxers, well, he was that too. If you like guys who beat other great stars, well, he beat more great stars than everybody. Yeah. You know, he was probably by accomplishment, he's probably the greatest fighter of all time. But, In any weight class. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, he, other people are up there with him, but you no. Know, and then after him, I'd probably put Hagler and Roy Jones. Yeah, Roy was nice. Roy Jones as a middleweight. Yeah. Carlos Monzon was a champion as a little kid. He was really good. Um, and then some of the guys, Sugar Ray Robinson and Beat were like up there. Yeah. Uh, Gene Fulmer, you know, it's, was great. Um, well, Sugar Ray Robinson Zale. fought in the 50s, 60s? Uh, like late 40s. Through the mid '60s, yeah, long time. I don't know what those guys were made of because they talk about like brain damage. So he like lived his like '80. Yeah, well, some people just built they, different. Yeah, I don't know. What, it was just amazing. Uh, all right, uh, best heavyweight of all time, Ali. All right, so I, I, I'm going to ask this just because I, I think it's a fun question, and it, there's no answer to this, but I'd love to get your perspective. Ali in his prime, Tyson in his prime, and they fight. Oh, no contest. It'd be the biggest pay-per-view ever. No contest. No contest. Really? Muhammad takes him. Tyson was not the best of his era. Really? The people of his era literally beat him soundly. Tyson? Mike Tyson? Mike Tyson is the same era and age as Lennox Lewis. Yeah. Andrew Holyfield. And he lost to Riddick both Riddick Bo. And he but, ducked Bo. And he got mauled by – he spent most of his career ducking Lewis. Have you ever seen a movie, Great White Hype? I've never seen it, but I've heard of it. Um, Samuel Jackson plays a Don King figure. Okay. Damon Wayans plays a Mike Tyson figure. Oh. Playing the Lennox Lewis part is this big actor um, that kind of became a star later – but his manager is Jamie Foxx. Okay. And they are literally chasing the Mike Tyson character around. And that's really what happened. Most of the 90s, Lennox Lewis is chasing Mike Tyson. And, my, and Don King, Mike Tyson are ducking beyond belief. 
So Tyson's reputation when he was knocking maybe B fighters out the first 20, 22 He fights. was great when he was young. Yeah, when he was But like what I had 20. to learn was those guys that he would later lose to, they're not younger than him or he faded. Those guys all beat him in amateurs. Yeah, Lennox Lewis and Mike Tyson are were friends and trained together at Custom Auto's house. I'd forgotten that. Yeah, and he never could beat him. He's mm. like way bigger than him. He struggled with him. He's a lot bigger than him. Yeah, and Holyfield, who becomes a religious, was much more of a street thug as a kid than Mike Tyson. And constantly, they fought on the Olympic teams together. Mm. And Holyfield was the bully who beat up Tyson. Wow. And then he became So the casual boxing different. fan doesn't know that. Yeah, like Holyfield had been beating up Tyson from when they were like kids. Why would you stop your podcast? Because you, you clearly um, know a ton about Went podcast. back to, I could do all of that when it was virtual. So we weren't going to school as long. Wasn't coaching as much and then that spring hit we had that spring season and then everything went back to normal and I would have had to have had my podcast on like 11 to 1 yeah (laughs) 11 p.m. to 1 were you doing it live they were trying to get me to go live who's they the other it's other people who were doing boxing podcasts they were like, you should do this, and you could come on live at this time, and this is what you aim for. And I said, well, no, nah, I'll just keep making the, you know, the little things. And I'd made a couple more, and then I just stopped. Yeah. But I probably, if I got out of coaching, I probably could have kept on doing that. Yeah. That would have been fun. But you like coaching too much. Yeah. You're working at a school. You might as well coach. Yeah. Well, you love the sport, and it yeah. sounds like you love having an impact on the kids too. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, let's close with you telling me about your family. My personal family? However you want to define family. Uh, well, my family traces all the way back to Hackfields and McCoys because they're from <laughs> <laughs> they're from Appomattox. Uh-huh. And I could still hear my cousin saying, I live around the corner from Surrender Grounds. No D. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they spread around the country. My father's family is... Um, from the other part of West Virginia, but I found out they're actually from Florida. And so, big extended family. Um, When I moved here, it was rural. It was sort of, Patrick Henry was Dinwiddie, which I said earlier, when I moved here in the 70s and 80s. And everybody here had an extended family. Yeah. You know, because they were more like the Appomattox people where my extended family were, 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 or in West Virginia, but I didn't have any people here. And sort of the town, some families adopted me. And this sort of became home. And then my parents ended up adopting some other children. So kind of built a... Literally taking other children. An extended family, you know, of people around here. And Your family's roots here are very deep. Even though the family hasn't yes, been here Yes, we that haven't long. really been here that long because... Other families let us be part of their family, yeah. whether it be the church or Virginia Union or people of Patrick Henry or other players or all through the year. So we sort of grandfathered in, you know, something to teach you, teach um, It's a term I teach African-Americans some years and it was a term fictive cousins. 
mm. that they had during slavery. Evictive, you're saying? Fictive. Fictive, okay. Like fiction. Yep. And he said it was very common during slavery because your real family would be maybe the father sold or the mother sold. Well, they all live in the slave quarters together. They're effectively a family. So they become a family. So if you lose your mother, then you become part of this family. Mm. And so if their cousins and your cousins didn't. And even though slavery ended and all, the world kind of became that way as people started moving around and going here, great migration. And, you know, when people left Kansas and the dust, everybody. And when the immigrants came in, they're not all actually kin. Right. But they had to function as kin. Yep. Well, that became the American way. Yeah. That's wild. You know, so hopefully all of us are lucky enough to be somebody's fictive cuz. Yeah. Right on. No, I love that. And Ashland being the center of the universe, being small, somewhat rural, but close to the city, got a whole lot of those made up families. Yeah, you you have a lot of fictive cousins. Yes. Yeah, and you mentioned the uh, families that, that have really large extended families that stayed in this area. Like, you, you've got Oxendimes, Glasgow's, Foster's, um, Morris's. You can keep Every going. one of those names. I teach those exact names at Hermitage. Really? Every one of them. Wow. Oxendines. I've had Oxendines. I've had Strauss's, Glasgow's. Morris's, <laughs> and they were all in the city too. Wow! <laughs> so, so they're basically all over. Richmond. They're all over. Yeah, to, to include all the south over. side, like south of the river. They're, oh, definitely they're over there too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just that's wild. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess they're more now than they've ever been, probably. Yeah, because the people keep moving and they move, yeah. and they move back and they move in and they move. <laughs> all right, tell me about your immediate family. My immediate family, my wife Sonia. Um, we've been married like. We're pushing 30, will be 31 years this year. And I have four children. And, um, my oldest is a teacher in Henrico and a trainer. Okay. And she was a track star at Roanoke and at Hermitage. And then my younger son, well, he'd be the oldest son. Um, he's about three or four years younger than her, and he was like an all-state player at Hermitage and played at James Madison. Was he at the Hall of Fame thing? Yes. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Was there. Um, and so he played linebacker at JMU. Uh, sister went to JMU. Um, Elise got her. She went to Roanoke, and she got her master's at JMU and was actually like kind of keeping her eye on him because they were together there for a year. And he um, got out of school. He's was involved in the school system. Now he's involved in the court system, and he he is a performer on the side. What he's kind of performing? To, yeah, he's trying to be a singer. Okay. Yeah. So, um, would you ever tell him his voice isn't good enough, or does he really have a nice voice? Yeah, he'd block me out. <laughs> <laughs> he's used to blocking me out. I coached him in three sports, so he would not. Somebody else would have to tell him. Yeah, it wouldn't register with him. He's going to fight through whatever whatever (laughs) I'm saying. But he's pretty good. He's pretty good. Um, I have a guy I coach with who's in the music business. And I finally got the nerve up to 
let him hear his stuff. He said it was pretty good. And I was like, are you just saying that because you know? He's like, nah, have him come back. And I was like, hey, you're serious. That's but cool. he's pretty good. That's um, great. He really works hard at that. And then I uh, have twins that, um, you know, that moved in with us when they were babies. Right. Um, from, I think it's uh, my wife's cousin. And but they've been with us. They might have been one, but I don't think they were. Yeah. And they're seventeen now. They're the youngest. And then we got all the cousins, and you know the. the there's a little kid at the house now, from Ashland. So he's cousin. Is there three? Uh, he's staying with y'all permanently. No, but she will pop through. Okay. I guess. Yeah. So he'll be there for a couple of days and just be gone. And then there are others and, you know, and then we'll have, you know, Donnell's children will come through or whoever else. So, so and you have two siblings, Erica and, and Aaron. Erica and Aaron. Aaron is Deedle and Ashlyn is definitely Deedle. Where did that come from? My uncle was living with us and he called him Deedle Beetle Bum. Just made it up. Yes. But he was a baby then. Yeah, and yeah. he would call the baby that. And it was supposed to be Beetle, but he kept saying Deedle. But he made it up. So it was whatever he yeah, says. Yeah. And that just stuck. It yeah, really it was, stuck. Yeah. It was um, it was really Bam Bam because he was always huge. Yeah, yeah. And he was rough and breaking stuff. But the Deedle thing stuck. The His elementary friends heard it. And that just became it. Most people did not know what his name was. Yeah. They did not know. My mom taught him and said, what do you prefer to go by? And he said, Deedle. And she said, but Aaron's such a nice name. He goes, yeah. no, I want to go by Deedle. I think my mom was his kindergarten teacher. <laughs> and I, I picked his name. Really? Yeah. Because you were 12 by the yeah. time he came around. And I picked his name. And I was like, I got spelling straight. Because everybody had to be EQK. Really? Yeah. Why? I have no idea. The Q in particular. Well, the Q is my mother's family. Okay. And she's Quintina, and her father was Quentin. All right, what's your middle name? Quentin. Okay, and then Deals? Quincy. And, and Erica? Quivette. Okay. So everybody's Is that going to continue? In some extent, yeah. Okay, but not all, not all your kids have EQK. Or do they? JQK. Okay. All right, right on. Well, but all JQKs? No. My uh, daughter's J-A-K. Okay. Because he's named after the grandmother. Gotcha. Okay. And John's named after both grandfathers. Uh, I, I really want you to tell the story about your dad. We talked about it uh, when we talked a few weeks ago. Has it been a few weeks? I guess the first time we talked was a few weeks ago. Uh, and I met you. You didn't know who I was at the Hall of Fame thing, but I, I certainly knew you and your family. I really want to get your dad on this podcast, but in case he doesn't want to do it, tell the story of uh, his f- last year of eligibility for football at Marshall and how his one choice uh, ended up having a lot of. Oh, um, I don't think I really didn't understand this kid. My dad was literally one year ahead of the plane crash team. So. His last year was 69. The plane crashed in 70. I didn't understand, but 
if he'd have taken a fifth year because he missed some of one of his years, like he was, my dad was like deal good. He was like three-time all, uh, MAC. At linebacker. Yeah, at linebacker. Um, so he missed a, a big chunk of a year and could have gotten a fifth year. Plus that was when freshmen – were ineligible, so they could have gotten him the fifth year, and they were talking to him about it, and he's like, "No, nah, I'm going to school, seminary in yes. particular." And so now we're in Richmond, and the plane goes down. It's early in the season. I remember it's like September, and my parents had already started scurrying. And then I see, and I used to sit and watch the news. Because you were you were five years old when yeah. this happened? I would watch yeah. the news, like sit there for hours, you know, because my grandfather, my grandmother watched the news, and then I would wait on my grandfather to come in from the mines, and we would rewatch the 1130 news. Mm. So I got, you know, I set my clock by 6 o'clock local, 630 national. And 630 national, like the second story. On that Sunday, was that plane going down? How was it not the first story? Oh, it's 1970, was though. I think, like Vietnam War was Vietnam going War. On. You had some election stuff. I think that's right in that weekend. Either Morrison or Hendricks went died. Okay, yeah. like a big star also died. You know, it's 1970. It's just so much stuff happening. Yeah, but second, you're second up on the national news. And the whole team died. Yeah. And they probably didn't have all the information. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't get it as fast. So later over time, like, I was a, they were very quiet about it. So I learned over time mixing names. The people in the movie were their friends and people I remember. Wow. Because a guy, the guy on the team who lived, she played with my dad, and I remember them talking about him. I mean, your dad had to know most of the kids on that team. Most of them. Yeah. And I can remember a lot of them. You know, I remember their names, so-and-so, and this one. But they were, like, younger, but not much younger. And they didn't say much about it. But then when my aunt went, then I was able to put all the names together. Because my aunt's, like, four years younger, so she's now meeting all the new people that come in as they come in and she knows all the names and now I could picture it and then when they made the movie I'm like wait a minute that that's him that's you know the guy's name was Bob yeah and Bob is the person whose the view of the story is right 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 and and it was a, it was a running back on the team has your dad ever talked about it never to me yeah yeah never to me a mother will talk a little bit but basically, even at that young, you kind of know, leave that one alone. Yeah. Leave that one alone. I've never asked. Yeah. And if I needed to find out something, then my aunt knew because she was going to be there and meet all the other people. Turned out, like, the coach's wife was in Richmond. Hmm. That she lived not far from where my parents were living before we came up. Huh. Before I, you know, before I came up with them, she lived like the other side of like Battery Park. Okay, yeah, was yeah. where the Marshall coach's wife 
moved to, wow. the one that died in the plane. Wow. But a whole lot of, you know, a lot of West Virginia, sure. the mines faded, moved to Richmond. Really? Yeah. Huh. Like I didn't know Marshall Parker, the Parker brothers that coached on there from West Virginia. A whole lot of coaches you trace there, like Concord Bedwell's from West Virginia. Huh. Yeah, he Bedwell's family's from Mullins and not from Beckley. That's wild. A whole lot of West Virginia people are in Richmond. I had no idea. I didn't know until the people t- you don't know until the people tell you where are yeah. you from. I'm from you're from where? <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Earl, I appreciate you doing this, man. This is fun. And I'm, we've got this sports podcast that we're revamping, and we're going to have you on that if you're willing to do it. And the good news about that one is you can do it from the comfort of your home. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'll probably mess that up. <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait till you get all your technical stuff straight. It'll be all good. We appreciate you doing this, man. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Ashland's still the center of the universe. Absolutely. enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.